Pubcast. Every time that we eat the rainbow, we're tapping into the intelligence and the art of nature. Now, there's no reason why we have colors in our environment, I believe. Like, it's signaling something to us, right, in the way of our psychology and in the way of our bodies. Welcome to the Liberated Healer podcast, where we touch on a variety of topics in the world of spirituality, energetic healing, and everything in between and beyond. Take an adventure on a shooting star with your host, Gina, offering their wisdom, guidance, and everlasting love and support. Hi, everybody. Gina Cavalier, the Liberated Healer podcast, and today we have Dr. Diana Minnick on. Thank you for joining us. Hi. Hi there, Gina. Well, I, uh, I've been, I'm a little nervous because you are just such a wealth of information and you have just completely dedicated yourself to your craft and to providing information to people to help them with their lives today, right now. You have written six wellness books, 50 science publications. You're, um, an internationally known nutritionist, author, you know, teacher. Um, and also you talk about quantum healing. Um, and when I was reading your information in your book, I mean, your mind, the way that your mind works in science is not the way that I understand it. So I appreciate people that take, take a deep dive in that really hard stuff, but then bring it to the people in, in ways that we can understand and incorporating the mindfulness and the consciousness that you do, like the chakras. I was just like, oh my God, she's talking about chakras and animals. And- <laughs> yes, you know, into medicine and wholeness. So let's learn a little bit about yourself and then we're going to give people real good tools to help them today. Well, I think you nailed it. I mean, I am a nutritionist, author, teacher. I've been in the healing arts for quite some time and I've had my own personal journey as it relates to healing and wellness. So, I, I mean, I think that that's how we all get into healing is we have something to heal, right? So for me, it was physical, it was emotional, it was mental, even spiritual. So what I try to do through all of my teachings is to blend those four ribbons together of our being. And I do that through the interface of color. And uh, not just science. Science is good, but it is a method. And so what else um, I, I like to bring into it is art, creativity, more of the the less structured aspects to complement that of the, the structure of science. So wow. the whole picture, the nourishing the whole self, as I like to call it. And in your book, you talk about a lot of different studies where they would separate groups and the groups that would meditate or do consciousness exercises would heal 50% better. I mean, can you give us a little bit of numbers to excite people about that reality? Oh my, there's a lot of science out there. Um, So there are many different levels at which we can affect change in our health, right? And for some people, they say, you know what? I'm not ready for all the meditation and the consciousness. I mean, I just, I got to get my hands around my symptoms and I need uh, things to actually solve the problem so that I can take myself into higher consciousness states. So that's why I start with nutrition. And there are so many studies to suggest that even small changes with nutrition can change us, not just in our bodies, but through our mind. You know, one example is even blueberries. If we look at the science of how food can affect mood, we're starting to see more and more studies. And essentially what we see is that having more fruits and vegetables 
And I would say, especially those blue purple fruit, like blueberries or even blackberries, um, they contain compounds that are important for our brain. So even half a cup of blueberries to get us going and to help to provide those phytochemicals that we need for a good, healthy functioning brain. And when our physical body is in alignment, then it's almost like the emotions can flow. The mind can move in the way of, you know, better thinking, better memory, better overall mood state. So it just depends on the person and where they want to go. I have found that some people feel like, I'm not ready for nutrition. I'd rather just focus on my thoughts or my physical activity. So I think that all paths up the mountain of healing are valid and there's science to support all of them physically, emotionally, mentally, or spiritually. Wonderful. And then um, you talk a lot about detoxification too and how important that is. Um, yeah, that, that's a reality. So the planet we live on and what we've been creating through companies, products, and, and what's out there, you know, we have more than 80,000 chemicals that have been defined and how those chemicals interact in our bodies will lead to whether or not we have issues. You know, some of us have certain genes that make us not detoxify as efficiently. So we might have more problems. Um, so looking at toxic burden, I think is key. So the way that I define toxins in my whole detox book would be anything that stands in the way of your optimum health. So we could have toxic physical aspects like heavy metals in the environment or plastics. You know, plastics are a big one. If we can just get rid of plastic water bottles and, you know, start to embrace more glass and uh, less plastic, I think we're in better shape. And then emotionally, like what are some of the emotional toxins that we might have? You know, um, I just did a Facebook Live where I was talking about patterns. Sometimes we need to break out of patterns. We are in ruts. We're in grooves and we can't even see out of it, right? We've got blind spot. We blind spots. We might have those emotionally. We might also have those mentally. We might keep thinking the same thoughts, which only gives us the same results over and over again, right? The power of our thoughts to really change our outcomes. And then I think spiritually, many people grapple with, well, what is spirituality and how do I find a place for it in my life? The way that I define spirituality is a sense of meaning, purpose, and connection with all of life, which is very consistent with how we define it in functional medicine. So if somebody has a sense of purpose and they wake up in the morning and they feel like, ah, this is why I'm here. This is why I want to do that. You know, sometimes that can override the mental emotional state because it gives you direction. It gives you that sense of like the why you're here. I mean, that's like one of the existential questions that we ask as human beings, right? Like, why am I here? What am I doing? So if we have that sense of purpose, it can drive a lot in the way of our body, our mind, and our emotions. So that's how we could take spirituality as that divining rod into our daily existence as well. Well, I can, I can personally talk about a, a little bit about how I didn't exactly know what my purpose was. I just knew I loved healing, but then I had the nine to five job. It, everything, I was just getting sicker, sicker, you know, and just going to meetings and doing marketing and working on stuff that had no, uh, did not speak to me at all. Having to like, push myself to be excited and, and real. And I just, uh, you, you know, I just developed all kinds of illnesses and with everything. So, um, you know, I can see that. And, and that does become a pattern because you get so tired, you come home, 
you you eat crappy food that's fast. You you lay on the couch. You watch you know um, boob tube, you know, which makes your mind just try to forget about it. You don't exercise as much and things like that. So those are the ruts. I feel like I could you know understand. Um, Absolutely, and and what you're speaking to, like when we have a life rut, like when we're working kind of this in the grind of like the nine to five, then our eating starts to follow and we get into an eating rut. We start eating the same thing every day. We start talking to the same people every day. We start watching the same TV shows or doing the same things online every day. Often what healing requires is a movement out of that. We need more flow. We need more fluidity. We need more creativity in order for us to see what we haven't seen before. Because I I think like you um, in the way of like healing you know, there are so many different aspects to take it from, but to me, healing is like a spiral. I think that everybody has their own spiral journey. I don't feel like it's a line. I feel like it's a spiral and we keep coming up against the same things over and over again. So if we're in a different place physically or emotionally or mentally, the next time that we come up against that lesson, perhaps we can catapult ourselves through a more conscious approach rather than just kind of reacting you know, I, Gina, I think it would be worthwhile for your audience to, for us to talk a little bit about inflammation. Yes. Because yes. inflammation, uh, what we know, at least in the science, is that um, inflammation is part of what leads to issues in the body. So we can have an acute injury where the body responds. We have redness, pain, heat, swelling. But then longer term, if that inflammation doesn't resolve, what we can move into is what has been referred to as inflammaging, where we have low levels of inflammation over time that basically chip at our resources, our nutrients. So how do we know if we have inflammation? You know, sometimes we can look at the body. We can also look at how we're acting, um, our psychology. So in terms of the body, there can be all kinds of inflammation. If we just think of the brain, you know, any kind of impaired cognition, um, changes in memory, mood. If we think of the heart, any kind of changes in our, you know, if we feel tightness in the chest or um, anxiety, um, you know, just changes in our circulation could also denote that there have been some changes. And that can easily be assessed through blood tests to look at what is circulating through our blood in the way of lipids and proteins. And then I think of the gut. So I'm going through the three main centers, right? The brain, the heart, and now the gut. How do we know if we have inflammation in the gut? Well, do you get bloated after eating? Do you feel distension? Do you have changes in bowel patterns? Um, you know, do you feel kind of sick after you eat a meal where you don't feel like you're getting some energy? You're actually feeling more flu-like. You know, there can be some gut issues. And then, you know, you can look at the skin, you can look at the eye, you can, I mean, basically our body tells all. And I think that what people need to um, do in order to get a better state of their, their health is to be the observer, to kind of look at what's going on, what's going on with my skin, what's going on with my hair, what's going on with my nails, um, and, and to be attentive to that and then to start to make changes. Because with inflammation, we see Again, there, there might be pain. There may not be pain. Um, there could be some kind of irritation or swelling in the body. Like sometimes people have a latent like tooth infection. Mm. Um, 
You know, it's like the more you know, the better you can do. So testing, working with practitioners of all types to really be your health team, I think is smart in the long run because, you know, inflammation, again, is the bedrock of so many chronic diseases. And if we can get on top of that quick, I think it makes sense. You have to be your own kind of advocate and because you're the only one that knows what's really going on. And when you have, you know, all of a sudden, you know, your vision is gone blur, you know, and, you know, and it starts to happen regularly or something like that. Kind of take a look at, well, what did I eat and what that, you know, I mean, you're the only one that's going to be able to know that that's going on and don't ignore all those signals, right? Yeah. I like that. What you just said about, you know, you know yourself best. Yeah. And if you're just going in for a 10 minute doctor's visit, you know, how do you really express the breadth of everything going on for you? One of the things I like to do is just track my symptoms on a calendar and I like to look for patterns. You know, we are human beings that have multiple patterns. What are our patterns? So when we eat certain things, how do we feel? You know, one of the things that I have used clinically to help people is, and it's in my whole detox book, is a way of um, taking things, certain things out of the diet and then adding them back in, in order to see how we respond. So as an example, um, in functional medicine, we call this an elimination diet where we take out eggs, soy, uh, wheat, dairy, sugar, alcohol, caffeine sometimes, you know, and we just strip the, the diet down to just some of the basics. And people of all eating styles can do this with a practitioner. And then after about 21 to 28 days, start to add things back in. It's amazing how resilient the body can be when just in a short period of time, like seven to 10 days, you can recalibrate and you can start to think clearly. You can sleep better. You might have more energy just from removing certain foods from the diet. I mean, food is a huge, it can provide a huge um, healing or a huge insult to our bodies. Absolutely. And when you become a little bit more sensitive, I just... I don't know if I instantly have um, like a thing I haven't had in a long time, but I have it. I'm like, well, that was sort of a treat. And then I start to feel it immediately. It's just like too much dairy and, and things like that. And I just, you know, like I said, I'm like, oh, I'm like, that didn't make me feel good. I don't really want to have that anymore. <laughs> and having that body awareness is really key because most people may not actually put those two things together. They may not see it as, oh, I had eggs. And two hours later, I was feeling kind of queasy. Oh, that could have been the eggs or it could have been how I prepared the eggs or, you know, so I think the more that we can put those, connect those dots, the better we will be because after we eat a meal tells a lot. So that four to six hour window after we eat, whatever our responses are, are going to be prime information for us to assess what may be happening as it relates to that food or our digestion of that food. That's a good thing to repeat. Four to six hours, that's a good window of knowledge because that's where people get lost. So like, I don't feel good today. Oh, what did I have yesterday? You know, it's like, no, four, that four to six hour window is a really good like little mental note to keep. Um, so you have the Rainbow Diet book, which I have coming to me now. I want to, I can't wait to look at it. Um, do you talk about detox in that book too? Do you combine the two with diet and detox? Does it go together? Well, the the other book, Whole Detox, it's called, is more of the book, excuse me, 
that deals with all of the colors and all of the um, the ways of how those colors of food actually help our health and healing. And this chart is in that book, Full Detox. The Rainbow Diet, um, it's more of a guidebook. It's more of like how you think about food. But the whole detox book is the book where there's the 21-day program. So every three days, there's a new color to focus on. And maybe we go through the colors because I think that that's, people like to understand like, why should they be eating the rainbow? What does it mean? What do all of the colors mean? So maybe we even go through the rainbow. Yeah, let's do that. Well, first of all, let me ask you, what's your favorite color? Do you have a favorite color right now? I mean, it could change, but what do you like right now? What do you feel? I'm really into the blues and the purples right now. Okay, blues and purple. So when we get into that space, blue purple is the color of the mind. And it's the color of, um, I would say, wisdom, intuition, Um, Purple, in some cases, is connected to spirituality. It's kind of a rare, precious color. It's more of a, and and if we look at the foods that coincide with blue purple, many of them do help the brain. So that's that's up um, in the the higher states of cognition and consciousness. But let's start with red, because red is a very foundational color. And uh, being that I'm trained in both yoga and science. What I soon came to realize is that, like you had mentioned earlier, there's also a bit of a a chakra alliance here and an alignment through these colors and where they're impacting us energetically. So if we start with red, red foods, um, you know, if you think, well, first, let me just mention, if you think of the color red, it's intense, it's urgent, it evokes a reaction. You know, we get to the red stop sign or we see the stoplight, we see an ambulance, a fire truck. Red, 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 urgent. You know, we need to respond. So when I think of what is our response system in the body, the adrenal glands, survival, fight, flight. And I think about blood rushing through. Um, I think about reactivity. I think about the immune system. Like, let's just say that there's a pathogen, an invader. We need to react. We need to respond. So what are the foods that enable us to do that? And I just kind of loosely present some categories and some ways of thinking about it based on the science of certain foods. So red colored foods like berries, cherries, um, thinking about uh, tomatoes and strawberries. And a lot of these red foods contain compounds that can be beneficial for our immune health and helping us with enabling that response. Even, you know, some of these foods like strawberries and um, even red bell pepper can be high in vitamin C and mm. vitamin C is connected to helping us to create more, I would say compounds that help us with a stress response. And we think of vitamin C is also helping us with the immune system. So when I think of red of the everyday life of survival, I think of red foods. And then I think, how can we, um, calm that response through lifestyle as well, but we'll focus on foods. Okay. So then orange, orange is much in the same way as red because it's kind of a warming color. You know, the way I think about colors is in two big camps. You have the warming colors, red, orange, yellow. You have the cooling colors, green, blue, purple, for the most part, right? There are, there's like a gradation in between each of those colors. So with orange, orange, I connect it to uh, the reproductive system and to the parts of our body that have fat. So um, adipose tissue, you know, fat tissue in the body is connected to hormones. 
because there, there is that connection with hormone synthesis and, and fats. And if you look at some of the studies, so very interesting associations between orange foods that are high in carotenoids like beta carotene, beta cryptoxanthin, and helping in, in some way with supporting the reproductive system. So seeing how, like if we have persimmons, mangoes, oranges, these Carrot. types of foods, they, they contain compounds that may be helpful as it relates to fat-soluble antioxidant activity. So orange is playful. It's warm. Uh, I, I'm wearing orange today, which is, you know, I never used to like to wear orange. <laughs> and then I realized like, oh, orange is a very healing color for me. Um, and I would start to paint orange and I needed a lot of healing as well in my reproductive area. Yeah. So orange. Um, when we think of yellow, I think of the digestive system, fire, the fire element. And some of us have too much fire. We're eating too many processed, uh, I would say, yellow cookies, cakes, breads, pastas, toast. You know, it's kind of like the yellow, tan, beige, brown spectrum uh, where brown can be good because we can get more fiber. But if we're always doing yellow foods and there's our processed foods, it's giving us energy to fuel our digestive tract and to give us that that gold currency of ATP, but it can also deplete us of our energy. You know, that quick sugar demands a response from us, a lot of insulin to process it. So what I, what I like here is the good, healthy yellow foods like lemons and ginger and plantains and pineapple and bananas, um, which can contain prebiotic fibers, enzymes. If we think of, um, uh, what it bromelain in papaya, or I'm sorry, in a pineapple, in order to start breaking things down for us, lemon can be great in its uh, acidic, alkaline nature. So some of those yellow foods can be supportive of a healthy digestive system. Okay, okay. So we're, that that finishes the warming colors. I'm starting to really get it now, though. So you can kind of live your life where you're like, did I have any color in my diet today? Right. And, and, uh, you know, eat. some people ask me, they're like, well, Deanna, what does that mean? Do I have to add, like every meal has to be a rainbow? And I say, no, just every day try to get one of those colors. And, yeah. you know, if you can, I try to stack my breakfast with most of them so that throughout the day I, you know, I can bring in certain colors, but I like a big breakfast. And, um, you know, just in general, the science does support you know, having a lot of activity early in the day and then having less food later in the day, less strenuous activity, less um, high aerobic activity, you know, kind of goes from sympathetic into the parasympathetic, right? And from the day when our cortisol is high, when we wake up into the night when our cortisol needs to be going down. And somehow we got into this rhythm where we have these heavy meals really late at night. And that sounds like that does that probably the least productive time to have a giant heavy meal. Well, it like takes a lot of energy of us to digest. Yeah. Um, we get energy from food, but we've got to uh, give energy in return in order to break it all down. And so if we're busy trying to break that down while we're trying to sleep, it's a little bit too much for the body. 
So typically the general guideline is to refrain from having large meals two to three hours before going to bed, which, you know, I think everybody's a little bit different in that regard. You have to look at, you know, how stable is your blood sugar? Do you need a little snack before bedtime to keep your blood sugar stable so you sleep better through the night? So there's a lot of nuance here and nothing is absolute. It's, we definitely have to think of the people that, um, in, in, in every person as it relates to their everyday. But in general, there's a circadian rhythm that would align to our eating rhythm. Mm. So with green, green is the color of the heart. Green is the color of nature and healing. And um, I personally like the color green a lot. Um, yeah. I've always been drawn to green and I live in a green area. You were asking me where I live. I live in uh, the Pacific Northwest, lots of trees. So green... Um, Green foods. What do green foods give us? Well, if we go to the grocery store, we just look at a farmer's market. Many times the predominant color in plant foods is green. It's chlorophyll, right? It's just the goodness of green. I think that, you know, we're meant to have green foods. You know, there are so many available to us. So green foods give us a lot of phytochemicals for the heart, the vasculature, but also the overall body, I would say. So one of the biggest things that green foods, especially leafy greens, can give us is things like folate. So that's a B vitamin that we need to help us with metabolism, with methylation. There are a number of different processes that we need folate for. Uh, Within leafy greens, we also get vitamin K. And vitamin K1, there are a couple types of vitamin K, but I'm speaking to vitamin K1 or phyloquinone. Um, we get that from leafy greens. That's important in helping with um, blood clotting, blood flow. We get nitrates. Uh, nature provides us with nitrates, the good healthy kind, so that when we eat them, we can convert those to nitric oxide and allow our blood vessels to relax. So green is is uh, also has magnesium. A lot of ma- um, You know, we think of a lot of the greens, but, you know, not exclusively to greens. You know, nature doesn't work in categories or boxes. There's a lot of, you know, overlap here, but I'm just giving some guiding principles. So green is is really good for the heart in the way of what it can provide through plant foods. So even being in nature, we know of the benefit of forest bathing, as it's been called. You know, being in nature when you feel stressed, when you feel a lot of stress in the heart. You know, it's almost like a recalibration where you just get back into nature, you reset yourself, right? And then you come back into everything. Yeah, absolutely. So green. Most people do get green. You know, I often look at like, what are the p- colors that people are getting? Like when they write down their colors or they take a picture of their food, it's a good snapshot. And I can see, oh, you're, you are getting green, which is good. Sometimes it's lighter green like iceberg lettuce versus the deeper colors of green. So like a spinach or like this morning, um, arugula. This morning I had microgreens, which are very intensely green. I had broccoli microgreens. Uh, Those are really green, very nutrient dense. So they contain a lot of these sulfur detoxifying compounds to also help our body with, you had asked about detoxification. Yes, um, there's always like different thoughts of school about what I'm going to ask you. So next is about um, juicing versus eating raw. Um, and I think it's a personal preference too, because when I'm not feeling good and I, I actually juice and um, 
just to get that the raw the information right to me what I need now. But I don't when I'm feeling really good, I, I eat more of the the whole you know plant or whatever. What do you what's your thoughts on juicing? Well, I think that there is a time and a place. Um, juicing uh, when you juice a let's just say you're making orange juice, right? So what you're doing is you're taking the water component, you're taking the sugars out of that orange without the fiber, without some of the phytochemicals. So you're kind of missing some things with juicing. And for some people, there could be a spike in blood sugar because of all of that sugar coming in. Now, if you say to me, Deanna, what about making a smoothie with like whole parts of a food, like the banana or avocado, like where you put that in there, I, I like that a bit more because you get fiber and it slows the release of the sugar in the food. Um, it's not to say juicing's not beneficial in some cases. The only thing I would say with juicing is just to be sure that if people have juice, it's nicer when it's connected to a meal so that you don't get the spike of blood sugar to the same degree as having it away from the meal. As, as far as raw, I think we have to take a seasonal aspect into raw versus cooked, right? So we bring a little bit of heat into food when it's colder outside. So mm -hmm. having more cooked foods like in the autumn and in the winter. And when we cook food, we make it more digestible. So typically in the colder months, people are less active. They're less metabolically active. And having more cooked foods might be better just even for digestive health. Then I think in the summer months, the raw foods, having a little bit more on the side of raw foods, because they tend to be more, at least in traditional medicine, we might say that they're more cooling, right? Like they require more from the body to break down because they're in their natural state. They haven't had any heat to break apart the fibers uh, or release some of those compounds that are bound up in that matrix. So I think... Uh, I think we just need to change it up. You know, um, I know I, when, when I don't feel well, and it just depends what that means, but, you know, typically if I have a cold or, you know, food doesn't taste so good, um, you know, sometimes my digestion is also impacted. So I kind of feel like cooking food a little bit more can yeah. be good in certain cases, you know, or sometimes having like a smoothie where things are broken down and, Mm -hmm. you know, it already mechanically in, in the blender. So you don't have to do so much from a digestive perspective. I think, yeah, we, we just need to try out different things for ourselves when we're going through the year and when we're going through different health states. I love that idea because it feels very natural to have warm food in, in the winter and to hear that that is like a, you know, a humanistic, like transformation of us with the seasons. It, I guess is kind of what I got is kind of really neat and feel and know that because it feels like that, but I never really heard somebody say that. Um, cause a lot of people focus on raw food, always raw, raw, raw. And it's like, you know, no, to cook it breaks it down a little bit. I love that idea. Unless they live in Florida or in Costa Rica <laughs> where it's, it's a tropical climate in a tropical climate. I, if I'm listening to my body, I get the inclination for more raw. Like I want more juices. I want more fruits. Yeah. I want cooling foods. But when I'm in a cold place, yeah, sometimes it feels much more nourishing and less taxing for the body to have warm food, like a soup or a broth or a stew. Mm. Gosh, I'm getting hungry. 
Um, um, so also for juicing, is there, um, you know, when you buy pre-packaged juices, I think I remember they saying that most of the vitamins are gone within a few days or, you know, so when you go to like a really expensive health food store and you're spending like $14 on a juice that's been sitting around for who knows how long, I mean, that still gives you some nutrition, but is that, is that? True, do you, would you believe? Well, um, there are many kinds of vitamins. Uh, there are water-soluble vitamins and there are fat-soluble vitamins. The water-soluble vitamins are the B vitamins and vitamin C. So let's, let's imagine back to the orange juice. We see orange juice at the store that's been freshly pressed in a plastic bottle that is clear and it's sitting on the shelf. Yeah, um, that, the vitamin C in that orange juice could have been breaking down, sitting there on the shelf because of the influence of light and also just any kind of heat treatment that like if there was, you know, the, however that orange juice was made, um, that could destroy some of the vitamin C. And then just naturally over time, the vitamins will go down. Uh, the fat soluble vitamins, like um, let's just say, you know, things like, you know, Vitamin A, vitamin D, E, and K, and the carotenoids, they're fat-soluble. So let's just say there's a carrot juice, and you're thinking about the beta-carotene. Beta-carotene is what can convert in the body to vitamin A. Well, the beta-carotene will be pretty stable in that carrot juice. But mm-hmm. B vitamins and vitamin C, they'll be less stable. So I guess it's a trade-off. It may not be the perfect scenario, but it could still give you something in return. So I don't think it's a lost cause to have a fresh pressed juice. It just may not be giving you exactly everything. And you know, I, because I'm not a fan of plastic, I think, you know, I want a glass bottle. (laughs) You know, and I think Gina also to talk about tea. I'm drinking tea. I love it. Tea is, um, in a, there's a lot of science on tea, especially for detoxification, green okay. tea, rooibos, uh, chamomile, you know, herbal, caffeinated versions. Quite honestly, if you look at some of like the longest lived populations on the planet, like Okinawa, Japan, I mean, they have green tea throughout the day and green tea is filled with catechins. It's filled with flavonoids that can be beneficial for many different body systems. So there's something to just even having a cup of tea and what you can get in return as it relates to phytonutrients. I think it's often overlooked. People just go to like the the standard things like fruits and vegetables, juices, smoothies. Um, but, you know, tea is such an incredible way to get phytonutrients, not always vitamins and minerals. But a lot of the supportive phytonutrients that we need, like the flavonoids. So um, I think that is tea. So I love it so much. I have a big giant thing and I have it all categorized. And I mean, I just do do teas like crazy. Do you? I okay. It. I feel it moving to my body and I can absolutely like, and I'm really have, starting to go away from coffee because it brings me anxiety in the morning and things like that. It's oh, just, okay. After I do like a, I can only have like one cup and even that is starting to be a little bit hard on me. It's kind of heavy. Um, they have all these new like mud waters and mushrooms and things like that that are coming out. I haven't really tried them yet, but I know, um, you know, I might try that next because 
that sounds like an, maybe an interesting alternative to caffeine. Do you have anything, any feedback on that stuff? Yeah, I do. Um, you know, coffee is very personalized. Some people get no reaction from it, like no anxiety, no, you know, no change in bowel pattern, no change in sleep with coffee. I'm actually one of those people. And coffee is very nutrient, like phytochemically dense, just like tea is. Uh, and there's some mixed literature on coffee. And much of that may be connected to how a person metabolizes caffeine. Uh, mm -hmm. Again, like for me, I could have a double espresso at 9 p.m. and just go to bed. You know, that's not a good idea. But just in general, like it doesn't affect me. It doesn't keep me wow. woken up. But for other people, they could have a cup of coffee and like they're wired and they can't have any coffee past like 12 noon because otherwise they can't sleep. OK, so they're they're not metabolizing caffeine in quite the same way. Mm -hmm. And it also depends on the quality of the coffee. Many types of coffee beans, you know, they're sitting around, they've been roasted, they've been damaged, they've been, um, you know, mycotoxins uh, might be an issue. So having a good conscious coffee where they do a lot of the proactive testing of the coffee is really important. And I'm really picky about the coffee that I drink. It's just like, it can't just be any coffee. It's got to be one that's you know, doesn't have pesticide residues. It's been in, you know, many companies are actually offering that information even on their websites. And, and you can ask coffee. Oh, well, that is great information. Yeah. I love that. That could be, a, you know, an, an energetic reaction because it's not always. So I, 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 uh, I would love to look into that a little bit more too. And then but let's just touch base quickly about mushrooms. It's such a big topic. And every mushrooms can be good. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that what you mentioned as alternatives, right? Um, I think that exploring those as options or even substituting with tea, you know, these kinds of products. You know, a lot of the products out there, the mushroom products, they're quite spendy for people. Like um, a small sachet of like a mushroom powder. You know, I, I just want good food, healthy options to be accessible to people. And mm -hmm. if people can afford those kinds of products, I think that they have some merit, um, depending on the product, the purity, and all of those things that I mentioned for coffee. But I also think that you can have a very inexpensive cup of tea with much in the way of health benefits as well. And I think that tea, and the other one is spices. I think that both of those are great ways to get color in one's diet at not a very high cost. Like I even created a, a Facebook post with the rainbow of tea, like the red, the orange, the yellow, the green, the blue, purple, the black, the brown teas, right? Just think of it. You can get the rainbow through tea. And then you can get the rainbow through spices. Just think of the red spices, the paprika, the orange, the turmeric, the yellow, the ginger. I mean, you can go all through the spices with the rainbow. And those two things are not as expensive as food that you buy that maybe just goes to waste because you didn't have them. So I'm always thinking of ways that people can can do that in colorful, accessible, affordable ways. So, again, I, I come back to herbs, spices, teas as ways that most people can get some of these things. Oh, that's lovely. And, you know, I, I just got this vision. I want to share it really quickly because I felt um, all of these like trees and plants that are producing, you know, the the fruit or the spice. and um, they're so happy when we enjoy them in their, in their nature. You know, um, back in Montana, we had, um, raspberry trees and I'd never seen how they were actually grown before. And we went and picked them up and 
you know, they have that center and you, you just pick them up the top. But I remember in that process of making, pulling out our own raspberries for the day and just being grateful for that plant. You know what I mean? And then there is an exchange, energy exchange when you're, you know, yes, of course we know the science and you, that this is good for us and, you know, it feels better and all that stuff that we're talking about. But it is like a deeper connection to that plant or that element that created that. And, you know, do you have any feedback on that kind of energetically? I actually love it that you mentioned that. I have such an affinity to plants. I think that plants are going to help us on this planet to survive. And you're right. When we take part in, in eating plants, there's a transference of their intelligence. You know, a plant, if you think of it, it's static. It can't move for the most part. So it has to defend itself in its environment, whether there are pests, sun, altitude, whatever it is. It's got to make its own compounds to survive. So there's this intelligence in plants that we can then take on through eating. And in fact, that's, that's why organically grown plants may even be better, in, in fact, without a doubt, because they are stressed even more, like in a good, healthy way of stress, right? Like they are able to grow and flourish without herbicides, insecticides, pesticides, so I'm totally with you. I do agree that there's a connection that we form with plants when we take part in them. In fact, I just posted on Instagram this morning talking about every time that we eat the rainbow, we're tapping into the intelligence and the art of nature. You know, there's a reason why we have colors in our environment, I believe. Like it's signaling something to us, right? In the way of our psychology and in the way of our bodies. So I do... Um, I love what you said. You know, there's energy to everything that we take in. I can talk about vitamins and minerals and protein and carbohydrate and fat and phytochemicals, but you know what? There's energy. And also the energy that we bring to a meal. Let's just imagine that somebody had a beautiful salad. It was rainbow and it was just filled with all of these nutrients, but yet they bring to it uh, an unappreciative mind state. They bring to it anger, they bring to it reactivity. They eat it quickly. There's also, we can't just rely on the food itself to give us everything we need. It's a dynamic relationship that we have. So if the food is coming in and it's nutrient dense and beautiful and vibrant, and then we match that with a vibrant state of awareness and thankfulness and gratitude. And that's why even giving thanks to the plants, giving thanks to the people that prepared the meal is significant. And it adds, I believe, to not the nutrition of a meal, but to the nourishment of the experience. And we know that that's the process that humans had before. And we kind of, you know, in this last hundred years, really lost some of our old beginnings of culture. And maybe that's why the world is a little shaky right now. And I feel like there's a big rush of people coming in people like us and people have been on the channel and what, what you do every day, we're really standing up for, um, cause I know you're in service and I'm in service too. I mean, we're here, we're, 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 you know, having businesses and trying to make money doing the things that we love, but this is really in service when we think and breathe. And this is our whole life. When you be, when you find something like this, right. That's what you've been able to do. All the books you've done, you know, it's in service, right. So we're going back to this culture 
I think a little bit when we have these conversations. It's like, yes, you know, just walk when we have a meal and you see that and you like bring it some grace, you know, be be some gratefulness. And those are the old cultures we want to bring back, I think, a little bit. Yes, absolutely. And that's bringing spirituality into the meal, right? So uh, to me, eating is a spiritual practice as much as it's uh, nutrition for the body, right? So when I come into the meal, it's almost like I really want to sink into it. And it's also art. It's a way that we can be creative. We can be more intuitive to reflect on our body needs. So all of that is important. And that's why I like to focus on the rainbow because the rainbow has science, but then it also has spirit. It has both of them. You know, what is a rainbow? It connects, if you will, sky and earth, right? Heaven and earth, so to speak. So the rainbow signifies hope. It signifies optimism and connection and bridging the gap. And I do think that through food, especially through the rainbow of food, we bridge the gap between our physical body and our spiritual selves and align those. And when we are aligned, it's like we move forward into the world, as you mentioned, like with service, with a sense of mission, you know, um, I love, just like you said, I love doing this. You know, when I was young, I actually knew what I wanted to do from a young age. Not everybody has that. But I kind of felt like I was born. And then by the age of seven to eight, I was like, I know what I'm going to do. I'm I'm born to do this. And so it's almost like, you know, you kind of feel that moving through. And, And all life paths are important. I think that we all are looking for that element of service and connection and sense of mission and purpose. I like to tell people the way that I see it is that we're all a giant tapestry and we're all one single piece of string. And we're, the string is just, we're all moving and grooving together, you know? And so that's why don't, we can't pull out one of the strings. It doesn't, it doesn't work, function that way. So we're all interconnected. And I don't know, I just like to bring that into like some of the conversation because, you know, it's important to know that we're all here supporting each other in various ways. Um, Very true. And so what would you like to go into next? Um, do you want to go into your cards or how would you like to? Yeah, why don't we wrap up with um, uh, the cards? Because I think that, you know, what is actionable? Like, I think you and I are both very practical. We want something to do. Um, one of the things I did was I stopped writing books and I created a card deck called Nourish Your Whole Self. There's a little booklet inside, um, but the intent is there are the kind of the rainbow of cards and that you pick a card with a meal. So let's do this with you. You just tell me when to stop. I'm just going to shuffle the deck and you just tell me when to stop. Okay. All right. No. Oh, oh. (laughs) okay. Got it. Okay. So you have this card, which is flow. It's a master card. It has all of the seven cards within. So flow is orange. You could see by the color around the rim. So this would, with your eating, this would call you to a number of things. So the flow system of health, which is representing the orange system, is connected to emotions and food, cravings, um, but also water fats, oils, anything that flows in our food. Do we need more flowing foods? Do you need more juices? You were asking me about juices. You might be, you know, there might be something there. Um, 
And also luscious tropical fruits like papaya and mango and, you know, those orange fruits that I was talking about, you know, persimmons and and oranges and, um, you know, really tapping into orange in that way. When I, if I just feel you out in terms of your connection with food, I also feel like there's a, the emotional component for you would be a big one with food, like you emotionally connecting into the eating experience, into your body, into the foods that you choose are, uh, that's very important. So, but all of them are, I mean, you typically that there are only seven cards in the 56 card deck, which are kind of the master card and you got one of the master cards. So this is a, a heavy duty message to look at flow in your life. You know, where do you need more flow? Like, do you need to hydrate in the morning to kind of get you moving through the rest of your day and flowing in your brain and in your body? So there can be small, or do you need more like soaking? Do you need more of the water element? That's really what this is calling you to do is to look at the role of water, fluidity, and emotions as it relates to food and eating. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't know. That was a perfect card for me. <laughs> you picked it. <laughs> I know. That was perfect. And I just, everything's been a bit trying to get back into the flow um, of, because I've had a lot of uh, people moving and all kinds of moving different places and going, going. And it's, it, it, what it's teaching me is how to flow when things are constantly changing. Right. Because um, being stagnant and um, a, ve- a very productive person. I can do wonders, right? I could hit all my goals. I can make all my things, right? But when you're thrown out of that, how do you keep that flow when you're not, you're in a different environment every couple of weeks or whatever? That's and so true. It's been good to learn. It's been hard. But because, um, you know, you can be in flow at anywhere, at any state, in any location. And you know what I mean? And you can, it, it's, a, it's almost a choice and a practice. And so... I, that's exactly what I've been working on. And it is a good message to a lot of people, you know, that when you're going through a lot of different changes in your life, um, when you stop the flow, when you get resistant, right? It's no, I'm not, that's not happening to me right now. Uh, it just stops everything. The resistance, no healings coming in. Like, no, you know, you can't appreciate the foods. You can't appreciate different things. So yeah, it is a great part. I think those are beautiful. And I mean, I think that was a, probably a great, fun, a creative expression for you. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was uh, tugging my flow as well. You know, I like what you said about flow being a practice. Um, you know, the opposite of flow is where we uh, have stagnation and stuckness and uh, where it's almost like the water builds up and it needs to be released. You know, sometimes our emotions... I've done so much work with workshops and retreats and classes on emotional eating. You know, many times we're fueled to eat based on emotional just waves that come through us. And I think that the more that we connect to our emotions, like one of the things that I do in the whole detox program, which is, again, in my whole detox book, the other one, um, separate from the rainbow diet, is I encourage people to every day check in with their emotions, like just check in. Like, how do you feel? And most people aren't doing that. Like, you know, in our culture, back to your point about culture, so often, at least through the United States, people say, hi, how are you? And then you're 
really expected to say exactly how you feel. It's kind of like, oh, fine, how are you? And it's kind of like a matter of course. So I used to live in Europe. And one of the things that some of my European colleagues would say is, why do Americans ask you, how are you? But then they don't really want that true response. (laughs) So I think that there's a place for authenticity with acknowledging how we feel. And I think just even identifying the word, like, how do we feel right now? And there is, um, you know, online, you can find all kinds of um, different words to express feelings. And I think people need to kind of change their lexicon or their vocabulary around emotions. Because, you know, we, for most people, it's just kind of basic, happy, mad, sad, glad, you know, fine, you know, but there are is nuance to each of those. Yeah. Right. I mean, what is anger? Anger could go, you know, we can go into depressed, rage, disappointment, you know, there can be like teasing out. And so I think that when emotions are acknowledged, energy and motion, if you look at the word, I think that's really good and, and can be healthy for people in acknowledging because emotional health equates to physical health and physical health is connected to emotional health. So that's why it's important to like allow for that expression, whether through a therapist, through art, through creativity, through how we make food. You know, I, I think for me, I mean, that was one of my blocks personally. It's funny that we're having this flow conversation because I was not expressing my emotions and sometimes emotions don't have words. They, they just want to be felt in the body and you have to figure out where in your body are you feeling those emotions? Like where's your body sensor, right? For me, it was my reproductive system. So I started painting and I would paint orange and pink and gold. And I would, my method of expressing my emotions became art. And it was the best way for me at the time that I could express a lot of what I was feeling that would go beyond words. Like, cause I just needed that. Not everybody needs that. Some people can explain it, but you know, I do think for some people they need more. They need to, emotions can be great vectors of creation. I mean, when we're angry about something, it gets us to like, get things done. We're going to react when we're happy about something and passionate and like, you know, we feel really excited. It's like, wow, that just bubbles forth like all kinds of projects. So emotions do catapult us. They're not to be seen as weakness. I think that they're great messengers. And but then it's sort of like a reprogramming because we've been told not to show our emotions too often, you know, especially I, I don't know how about how men. Men feel the same way. They've been told uh, the guy I'm going to interview later today. I mean, one of his whole book is be- because one man told him, you know, you're a man, don't cry. You know what I mean? So he- that set him on a healing path, right? So, and as women, we're, you know, we're looked at crazy or, you know, if we have too many emotions. So we're really, to- every, all of us are told to hold back our emotions constantly. And, and I think also millennials, I've been watching the millennials and through COVID, like, you know, they're kind of on a balance. They, they want to, they want to be free and have their emotions, but they're also kind of coming off where they've been told not to have emotions. So they're, that's really where their challenge is. And they're like, can't I be angry today? Like, well, no, you're, why are you ruining your day? I'm not ruining my day. I'm angry about something. Like I have to express this. So. You know, what do I do with it? And that's when the numbing comes in of the alcohol or overuse of marijuana um, or other substances. 
right? right? And that, so I definitely like that conversation about emotions. Just like, like let's have let's have people have them a little bit more and embrace it. You know, even though yeah, it, we look to talk about like, you know, we're not allowed to be resentful at all. We're not allowed to be, you know, all this other stuff. And it's like, so the more if you have that, you're like, oh, I must be a terrible person. I have resentment. You know, yeah, I, I think agree. Uh, you know, acknowledging emotions is key and finding healthy ways that we can express them, you know, is is part of the process of healing for sure. Well, this has just been an amazing time with you today. Thank you so much. And where can we find all the information about you? My website, deannaminick.com. Uh, D-E-A-N-N-A-M-I-N-I-C-H.com. Everything is there. There are resources, downloads, connection to my books, my blogs, uh, social media. So yeah, definitely stay in touch. We'll definitely stay in touch. And it's been the Liberated Healer and it will link everything in the video and in all the audio. And we appreciate your guys' support. And um, if you have any questions, let me know. Gina at LiberatedHealer.com. Thank you. Deanna. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> If you enjoyed this episode, you can find us online at theliberatedhealer.com, on Instagram at Liberated Healer Podcast, or on Facebook at The Liberated Healer. Give us a follow, subscribe, send us a message if you so feel, and thank you for your support. Yes.